Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Dear D from Rahini. During the winter break, I found myself in the car listening to a lot of daytime mainstream radio. And I have to admit, it was banal. You, you pretty much knew what the presenters were going to talk about and what they were going to say, basically. You know, for example, the day after Christmas, the main subject for discussion was, yeah, recipes for leftover turkey. And you knew that the consensus was going to be turkey curry. And in some ways, you probably knew the presenters would start fixating about how a certain area of Dublin pronounces the word curry, and then they'd spend a few seconds saying curdy, curdy, curdy at each other, laughing hysterically, saying banal things like, ah, Janie, what are you like? Before playing picture this or Dermot Kennedy or someone like that. I mean, I don't know. A couple of days later, yeah, you guessed it, it was going to be New Year's resolutions. So I thought, do you know what, if you can't beat them, join them, and I'll join the banal party. So I asked my Twitter followers, if they were the Minister for Education, what their New Year's resolution would be. And I was slightly surprised that the most common answer was to remove religion from schools. And there's probably two reasons for this. Firstly, I do realise Twitter can be an echo chamber, so people that are likely to agree with me will see my tweets and therefore respond in a way that I'll like them. But there's a second, you know, more probable reason, which is that the last education story of 2022 was a headline that in the new primary school curriculum that's due out in a few years, religious instruction will be reduced by 30 minutes a week. This led to criticism from equality groups who wrote to the papers to express their dismay that there will still be two hours of religious instruction per week. And after that, on the next day, somebody called D from Rahini responded with a letter of her own. In this episode, I'm going to write back in a podcast to D and let her know what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. Hello, hello, and Happy New Year. This is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps, and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else who might be interested in primary education about the podcast. Please leave a review if you like this or any of my previous episodes. So before I get started, I want to again wish you all a very happy new year. I hope you're having a lovely break from school if you're a teacher uh, before we head back on the 5th of January. Now, if I'm correct in thinking, and I think I am, I believe this is the earliest date schools have ever returned after Christmas. In fact, technically, it will still be Christmas if one is a genuine Christian, because the festival of Christmas doesn't end until 
after the 6th of January. The 6th of January is the last day of Christmas. Do you remember that song, The 12 Days of Christmas? That's what it means, just for those of you who didn't know that. Uh, up until a few years ago, and not that long ago really, it would have been unheard of to reopen schools until after the 6th of January, especially as the 6th of January is considered to be a very, very holy day in the Christian calendar. Now again, I don't need to tell this to genuinely practicing Christians because they'd know this. And given that 95% of primary schools in Ireland are controlled by a Christian church of some sort, and given that 95% of teachers in all schools purport to be of a Christian faith, it surprised me greatly that very few people spoke out about the fact that they have to come to work on a significantly holy day. It's similar enough to the 8th of December. I don't know if, um, again, people of a certain age will remember that the 8th of December was always a day where the school would close because it was a very holy day and people would be expected to be going to Mass on the 8th of December and obviously on the 6th of January in this case. Which neatly brings me to the point of this episode. And for the purposes of the episode, I'm going to focus on the Catholic Church because they control 90% of schools, but you can include the other religions that run schools, which in all but three cases are Christian too, either the Church of Ireland or some other Protestant faith. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, there are two Muslim schools and one Jewish school in Ireland. So in total, about 96% of schools are owned or patronised by religious bodies. However, the main reason I'm focusing on the Catholic Church in this episode is because of all the religions that run schools. The Catholic Church has a very odd relationship with its ethos. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that today. Because if you go to a Jewish school, and I went to a Jewish school, as many of you know, you knew you were in a Jewish school and the people that work in the Jewish school are fully aware that they're working in a Jewish school and they know the ethos and they know not to go against it. I imagine if you go to a Muslim school, you'll know you're in a Muslim school and the people working there are also very aware of the ethos and why they need to uphold it. But when it comes to Catholic schools, people seem to have this odd, paradoxical relationship. On one hand, they will state that they are unapologetically Catholic, and you'll see that in a lot of school websites. Um, and on the other hand, many will proudly state that they are only Catholic with a small c. And sometimes, bizarrely enough, they will say both of these things for the same school. And sometimes, to complicate things further, it depends who's in the room when the person is saying that they're unapologi uh, unapologetically Catholic and Catholic with a small c. And it frankly has bizarre results. I have a few favourites about this mad paradox, which I've talked about before on the podcast. But the quickest example is the one uh, that Sean, Mon Sean Moncrief described in his weekly column in the Irish Times last year, where he declared that he ticked the no religion box in the census, yet was going to be standing proudly at the altar of a Catholic church where his daughter was going to make her communion. I mean, the funny thing, though, is that probably doesn't sound bizarre to many of you listening. I'm sure he isn't the only one. Anyway, let's talk about why I'm writing 
to D from Mahini. As I said, the last news story um, uh, involving education in 2022 was for the first time in three years. It wasn't about whether schools would be reopening in January. <laughs> Do you remember that fun? I mean, just as an aside, I was actually on the in the car. And I, I had to turn off the banal daytime radio. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, but look, I, I would consider News Talk and RT1 and Lyric not to be in that bracket. I was listening to News Talk's review of the year. I like these reviews of the year. And lo and behold, who came up in it? It was only myself going on about how I believe schools would definitely open in January. But what I didn't know was for how long. And, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of weird listening to the radio and then hearing yourself uh, randomly in a review of the year. And I never thought that would happen. So that was a nice uh, kind of thing for me for the end of the year. But anyway, enough about me. Because COVID is no longer newsworthy. So God knows whether I'll ever be on the radio again, really, to be honest with you. But anyway, yes, the last news story of 2022 was the news that the new primary curriculum was announced after extensive consultation with school staff around the country. And the big headline wasn't that the consultation brought absolutely no changes to their original plan. No, the big headline in all the media was that the religious instruction was going to be cut from a lofty two and a half hours per week to two hours per week. The media were almost frothing at the mouth with excitement and delirium. The media also have an odd relationship with the church. I guess most journalists are just like most Irish people, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised. But what of the teachers first? Well, in the first display of Catholic school teachers' relationships with their own ethos, their reaction was probably as predictable as the mainstream radio presenters and just as depressing. They greeted the change to two hours from two and a half hours per week with a sure, what does it matter? Sure, we barely teach it. We're lucky to give it an hour a week. Sure, we do it when they're eating their break. Sure, YouTube is their religion class. <laughs> sure, an owl prayer before they go out to yard and that's the religion covered. Ho oh, ho! It's as if a 90s, you know that 90s sitcom, Men Behaving Badly, magically transported into the Irish classroom, like, and they're going, well, hey, we're not really doing anything great. I mean, yes, those naughty Irish teachers barely do a tap of religion in their classrooms. And do you know what? Guess who else doesn't care? Huh? Well, guess who else? That's right. Most people. Because not only do Irish teachers have this weird relationship with their Catholic schools, so do most families. Yes, Sean Moncrief was one example that I gave there, but there are hundreds of thousands, not just a few, hundreds of thousands like him. There, these are the people, these are people who voted in favour of same-sex marriage and abortion rights for women. These are the people that don't set foot in a church unless it's a funeral or their wedding or one of their kids' sacraments, lying to themselves that it's only a cultural thing or blaming their mother-in-law because, oh, I had to do it. You know, my mother-in-law would be very religious, so I kind of felt I had to. You know, these, you know, these are the people that give out stink that the priest makes them go to the church for 12 weeks in the year before their child is allowed to make their sacrament. These are the same people who will stand at the altar of that same church with their child dressed as the bride of Christ, with their hands clasped in submission to the patriarchy, and less than 10 seconds later, after the service ends, forgets about the promise that they made, and they pee off to the pub because that's what the day is really about. Hey, 
yet many people call it cultural Catholicism. Some call it bouncy castle Catholicism because that's fun. Most people don't think twice about it. So we have this really weird system where schools are, to most people's eyes, nominally Catholic. And as many, 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 many people have said to me, you know, Simon, you'd hardly know you were in a Catholic school, Simon. It's not like the old days. I mean, you think it's mad in there. You think we're all whipping them with, 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 with I don't know, branches and preach, praying and, sac- and saying the Holy Marys all day. You know, it's not like that. As the banal mainstream radio presenter might say now, if I had a euro for every time I heard that, I'd be a very rich man. And then probably play Jesse J's price tag or something, I guess. The thing is, if you aren't nominally Catholic, None of this is cultural or bouncy castle-esque. And while we might agree it's probably and potentially a sham, because let's face it, that's what it is, it isn't innocent. It is not an innocent endeavour to have these nominally Catholic schools. Because let's look into it. Genuine Catholics find all of it, must find all of it, apparent. And I've spoken to many of them who try to, con- and, and this is how they comfort themselves. It's, it's all, and I don't mean it's pathetic in a, in, a, in a bad way. It's pathetic and I feel really sorry for them. They try and con- comfort themselves that maybe, just maybe, one of the children will discover Jesus' love through the gift of sacraments. You know, and that's really nice of them. I, 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 I'm not as nice as that. Um, you know, and... To be honest, I have far more respect for that worldview, even if I don't believe it myself. You know, that they allow this vulgarity to absolutely ruin their, their church. And they try and take comfort that maybe one child out of the hundreds will discover the love of Jesus Christ the way they have that love. You know, I, I just think that's, that's genuine Catholicism, folks, you know. However... There are those of us who don't find the Irish primary school version of Catholicism innocent or honest. I don't think anyone finds it honest, really, in any way. And that's exactly why the likes of me and many other teachers go on about it a lot. But not only me. Parent-led groups such as Education Equality and lobby groups such as Atheist Ireland also go on about this a lot. And if you follow their work, it should come as no surprise to you that they weren't as nonchalant about the NCCA who were in charge of this new curriculum, reducing the amount of time for religious instruction or faith formation or indoctrination or whatever one wants to call it by half an hour a week or six minutes a day. Because as much as it would be lovely for everyone to agree that cultural bouncy castle Catholicism is the ethos, is the actual ethos of our schools, the trouble is It comes with certain practices that, if Al Gore hadn't gotten to the title first, could be called an inconvenient truth. In fact, we could do a whole analogy of climate change denial and the way most Irish people view the Irish primary education system and the religious values, but that might be for another day. Education Equality wrote to the Irish Times about the 30 minutes of reduced religious instruction time, and I'm going to read the letter in full, without comment. Sir, 
That's how the Irish Times articles start, just in case you're not an Irish Times reader. Sir, the latest review of the primary curriculum represents another wasted opportunity to tackle the place of faith formation in our education system. This was in the news. uh, Primary schools to teach foreign languages as religion time cut under new proposals, 28th of December, 2022. Some two and a half hours per week are currently devoted to the patrons programme, code for religious indoctrination. For comparison, three hours are dedicated to history, geography and science combined. It is an astonishing amount of class time to spend on material that is not required by a large cohort of the population and from which increasing numbers of pupils are opting out. The proposal to reduce this period by just 30 minutes to two hours is tokenistic and fails to take account of a rapidly changing population with respect to religious belief and practice. The state continues to take a patron-centric rather than child-centric approach to education by allowing bishops' impulse to evangelise the children in their care to take precedence over families' individual human and constitutional rights. As modest as it is, this reform nevertheless reminds us that the role of religion in our schools is not above question. Our proposals are cost-effective, inclusive and achievable but they clearly require a degree of realism and political ambition that the government has yet to find. Yours, etc. And that was from David Graham, who is from Education Equality. Now, you won't be surprised to hear there isn't a single word in this that I disagree with. However, D from Rahini didn't feel the same. Before I go on, I just want to make sure that I'm not picking on D specifically. I just need to say that because Dee from Rohini, who uh, who wrote that letter, might think I'm picking on her. I'm not, because to me, Dee isn't, isn't really one person. Dee represents almost everyone in the country. She is the majority. And, you know, I don't like saying that, but I know it to be true. Based on her response, which I'll read, it is clear that she, like most people, believes that there is no harm being done at all when we're doing religious instruction in schools. However, just for the fun of it, I'm going to argue that if Dee had written her letter with a man, that man would be called Niall. Dee and Niall. Dee? Niall? Get it? In fact, do you know what I'm going to do? Because I don't want to just focus on D. I'm just going to pretend that D and Niall wrote this letter, okay? Because I have to amuse myself here, a bit of poetic license, and I like using denial as my um, D and Niall as my as my characters of this story. Because in some ways, you know, this is the the nub of the issue. You see, if I were D or Niall reading Education Equality's letter, there is a word in that letter that would have triggered me as young folks say i wonder when i read it did you flinch when you heard it too i wonder i wonder if you can think about that word that made you maybe flinch when it was said when i read it i didn't emphasize it now because the word was indoctrination and the accusation that in these religious schools the patrons program is religious indoctrination and this for some reason really annoys cultural Catholic teachers, as you'll see. Before I read and respond to the letter, Dee's address in the letter is also of interest. It was Rahini. Okay, Simon, you might say. 
So what's wrong with Rohini now? Gosh, well, another place now to be annoyed about. Well, in case you hadn't heard, Rohini is another area that's been identified as being in need of a school to divest away from the Catholic Church by the government. Now, you might have thought after last year when Nina seamlessly moved from being a Catholic school to community national school with more than a few shekels thrown to the church for letting it happen under the new reconfiguration model that the same would happen elsewhere. Just so you know the difference, by the way, between because I've used the word divestment and reconfiguration, they're slightly different things. Divestment, if in divestment, it was the parents in each community that would be consulted and uh, about whether or not they wanted to move away from Catholic patronage to a different patronage, and they'd vote on that patronage, whether that would be Educate Together or Community National School or some other model. Reconfiguration took the parent bit out unless parents got wind of what was happening and objected. <laughs> I wish it was more clever than that, um, but it isn't. Because what reconfiguration is, just to not be, I suppose, let's say, um, flippant about it is, the, the government go to a Catholic school and basically say, we want to turn this into a community national school. Have you any objections? The Catholic Church will generally say, nah, we're grand. And it'll happen. Now, the problem is, if anyone gets wind of it, they might demand that it can't just be handed over to the community national school. It needs to be consulted with parents. And that's exactly uh, what's happened in Rohini. In Nina, nobody objected to the transfer to uh, the community national school. So it just happened. Um, and that was that. Rohini was different. Okay. Rohini was different because the people of Rohini were a little noisier than the people of Nina. And the schools decided that they would do what they could do to stop one of their schools being reconfigured. And they sent letters out to uh, families spreading misinformation around the community um, along with having some town hall style meetings where loud people were loud and somebody probably shouted, won't somebody think of the children? Well, the nominally Catholic ones anyway. And essentially they put a spanner in the works and this isn't going to happen. And if it sounds very familiar, it is. And I need only direct you back a few years ago to Malahide and the divestment debacle there when the government callously wanted one of their eight Catholic schools to divest to an equality-based school. Suffice to say, Rohini is the same as Malahide. In terms of geography and culture and all the rest of it, it's one of the most liberal areas of Ireland, who mainly, who overwhelmingly voted against the Catholic Church's stance on marriage equality, but paradoxically loved the Catholic Church controlling what their children are being taught in school, which coincidentally is the Church's stance on marriage equality in many cases. And should I just say, hey, because, you know, it's so stupid. Or maybe I should get that mainstream radio presenter to play Unholy by Sam Smith, or maybe Stay With Me by the same artist. Maybe that's more apt. There's more to the Rohini story involving a really odd group campaigning specifically for a community national school as opposed to an Educate Together school, which they seem to really not want at all, even less so than Catholic school. But again, that's for another day's podcast. So let's get back to Denial's letter, or Denial's letter. I'm going to read it and I'm going to interject when I need to. And the reason I'm doing this isn't to make fools of D or Niall, but to try and explain to them as teachers, that not all teachers feel the same way as they do. I assume in their own staff rooms, they're all agreeing with each other. But in other words, I'm going to take the letter 
and respond to it from this perspective of a teacher in this comfortable cultural Catholic education system they feel they work in. And it is clearly comfortable for them because they see it through their comfortable cultural Catholic eyes. I'm just going to look at it through a different lens. Okay, so let's do this. Here's the letter. Sir, I read the letters from Education Equality and Atheist Ireland regarding faith formation with a degree of incredulity. Incredulity. December 30th. Religious indoctrination is a very harsh description of the patron's programme. So there you have it. Straight off the bat, the word indoctrination triggered her response and his response. Cultural Catholics hate the word indoctrination. I find that mildly amusing because if you look up any definition of indoctrination, it does kind of describe exactly what happens in their schools. Indoctrination is simply the process of teaching a person or a group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. That's all it is. It's not like, it's not, I, I, some might say that indoctrination maybe infers a forcing of belief, but that isn't what it is. It isn't. When a school teaches children religious values with, from only one worldview's perspective, that is indoctrination. You know, it's not, it's not a bad word. You know, they feel this is a bad word, indoctrination. That's such a bad word. It's amazing the things that teachers get riled up about. One of my other favourites of, you know, words that make teachers get really angry is when you accuse religious schools of not being inclusive. Which, which of course, they can't be for the very same reasons as above. And the actual correct term for religious schools is that they're tolerant of others or maybe at best they're accommodating of others but neither of those words sound as comfortable as inclusive i think tolerant and accommodating are fine if you actually go to britain if you go to the uk they have these things called british values now in schools i i mean i i, I again for another podcast and they talk about tolerance of others they don't talk about inclusiveness of others because they have british values are Christian values because Britain is ruled by the monarchy, which is the he- which is the head of the Church of England. Ireland is slightly different in that we, we we have this kind of odd perception that we are a secular republic. We are a secular. We should be a, legally. We're a secular republic, but for some reason we think our schools are predominant. You know, are just Catholic. You know, are are should be Catholic in some ways. You know, but they they shouldn't be. You know, they they shouldn't be. But, we, but we're also uncomfortable with the fact that they're Catholic schools. So we don't like saying tolerant because it doesn't sound good. And so we want to pretend to be better than we actually are, which we aren't. We are tolerant and potentially accommodating. Now, you know, I, I, I have to say I get a great kick whenever I hear a principal, generally of a single sex school, particularly a single sex school, I'd say a girls' school, on the radio, talking about how inclusive their school is. Now, never mind the religious stuff. They don't even include 50% of the population. They don't even allow them in the school. That's hardly inclusive. Anyway, let's venture further into D and Niles' letter. I would be amazed if religion is taught in any primary classroom in the state for two and a half hours per week. Even squeezing in one hour's instruction would be a good week. As I mentioned earlier, 
earlier, this is a really common response that teachers have had to the news that that in Catholics uh, to the news that religious instruction was going to be decreased by half an hour. You know, as if people shouldn't be even worrying that their child is receiving any religious instruction because, <laughs> you know, we don't, you know, we're not even getting two and a half hours. Don't be worrying. Gosh, we don't even, we don't really do religion in the schools. Eh? It's a small C Catholic, hey, hey, you know, eh? because we know most Irish people really aren't interested in the religious aspect of religion. Sure, <laughs> Begara, if we even indoctrinate your child for an hour a week, they're lucky. Ha <laughs> ha, and that's a good week, she says. Now, a good week for me is zero minutes of faith formation. I am not sure if a good week means more or less religion class in this particular person's letter. However, it doesn't really matter. The thing is, it completely misses the point. And I have a simple question for Dee and Niall. On a good week where you're teaching an hour of religious instruction or faith formation or whatever term you want to call it, but certainly not indoctrination. What religion do you think would be, now what religion would you think would be best suited to the person spreading that word of Catholic faith to the children in their class, given that the program is designed to spread the Catholic faith? So do you think the teacher should be someone who isn't Catholic. Do you think that would be a good choice to teach Catholic faith formation? Let me ask someone who might know. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I know. Me. I'm not Catholic. Oh, good. Well, maybe not exactly me, because I don't really, do, I, because I describe myself as a, as a lazy atheist, an atheist. So in some ways, and there's a lot of teachers out there who describe themselves as atheists, and still teach faith formation in schools because none of it means anything to them or to me. So in some ways you could kind of grit your teeth and they do grit their teeth and they lie. And I mean, I did it for three years of my early career. I blessed myself and I learned all the Hail Marys and the, the rest of the things and I prayed with the children and, and it meant nothing to me. I was like, I was an, I was, it was like acting, it is acting. However, what if I hadn't questioned my faith upbringing and I was a practicing Jew? I can tell you right now, I wouldn't have lasted a single day as a teacher in a Catholic school. Remember, before you tell me, I should just go and work and then educate together at schools then, you know, hardly inclusive, that 96% of all schools are religiously run and there are still over a dozen counties in Ireland with fewer than two equality-based schools in them. You know, I mean, apart from the casual racism there of, well, if you don't like it, go back to your own country style, kind of, why don't you work in an ET school then? Because as a practicing Jew, I could not, in all conscience, tell children that Jesus was anything particularly special. I certainly couldn't pray to him or to Mary, and I couldn't really have a crucifix in my classroom because all of this would be considered idol worship. And that is against one of the Ten Commandments, folks, which, um, you know, Jewish people tend to take, well, I suppose not just Jewish people, which any observant uh, religious person in the Semitic religion tends to take seriously. Going to the church would also be out. So as you can see, it would be more than a bit tricky for an observant Jew to teach in 96% of schools. And when I have this discussion with people, 
they tried to tell me, ah, oh, no, 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 ah, oh, no. Do you know what we'd do? We'd swap you in with another teacher for the religion classes. But, you know, look, they know that that's... I mean, I, I keep going with this. And, and, and eventually, they admitted themselves that it would be very... It would just be highly unlikely I'd get in the door in the first place. Because if that was an accommodation that I was seeking as an observant Jew in the first place, if I went to the interview and said, look, the one thing, when they ask you, you know, will you be able to uphold the ethos? And if I was if I was honest and said, well, look, you know, I'm an observant Jew, I can't actually do this, that and the other, I wouldn't get the job. You know I wouldn't get the job. We all know I wouldn't get the job. And the proof of the pudding is, you know, um, you know, the proof of the pudding is there aren't any observant Jews teaching in Irish primary schools in, in Ireland. Um, and, or, or, you know, pretty much other any other minority faiths either but even if i did get a job okay hypothetically they do and i say this to them, like, hypothetically let's say i sneaked in the door they do admit eventually that because i had agreed to uphold the ethos in my interview and because the ethos permeates throughout the day it'll be very tricky and they probably the principal says they probably just have to ask me look simon suck it up would you like just there's not much we can do about it it's the system it isn't us whether an observant Jew is teaching Catholic faith formation for two and a half hours, two hours, or even on a good week, one hour, is of little solace. Realistically, though, as we know, this situation rarely, if ever, happens because 95% of teachers identify as Catholic or Protestant, and most of the atheists and agnostics were raised in Christian homes, the other four and a half, five percent So the concept of faith formation classes isn't completely alien to them, so they kind of, like I did for the first three years, go through the motions until they can do it no longer. I go back to my favourite quote to sum up why Dee and Niall miss the point here, thinking that this isn't a problem, and it's because they have never worked with someone of a genuinely different faith who simply couldn't teach these classes. And the quote which I'll paraphrase from Ulysses, is the answer to the question of why Ireland has never persecuted against the Jews. And the answer is because they never let them in. Look around your staff room and you'll get the picture. Anyway, let's move on. No child in my classroom is indoctrinated. There's the trigger word again. Less than three sentences in and they're back with that word. I think I've covered that at this point, so let's hear their explanation. Those who opt out of religious instruction happily occupy their time with other educational activities. Now, to be honest, if we're talking about triggering words, there's two in that sentence. One of them is their, yeah? Those who opt out of religion uh, happily occupy their time. They're not part of our class it's their time because they've chosen to opt out it's their fault that they're there and um, there you go I use all of the theirs in, in in that sentence but the other word you know because I mean, I, i'll come back to that but the other word that triggered me was the word happily it's it's just so presumptuous it's arrogant it's almost not worth dignifying it with any sort of argument i mean i wonder how do d and niall know this how do they know they're happy I wonder how they would feel sitting at the back of their own classroom every day watching the rest of the class taking part in an activity that is central to the school's ethos and knowing that they're simply visitors in their own classroom for that time. They are not part of the class. They cannot 
take up any of the teacher's attention because they're not included in that lesson. If they call the teacher to do something, I'm sorry, Jimmy, I or it won't be Jimmy. I'm sorry, but maybe it will be Jimmy. But I'm sorry, but I'm teaching religion here. You go back to your own thing and, you know, I'm happily doing your stuff that I don't really care about. Busy work there, you know. And I'm deliberately using the word they because let's consider them in sacramental years where they must sit about idly while their friends are being prepared for the event of the year, which they aren't part of. And the thing is, they might be allowed to go. Well, they will be allowed to go, but only as guests. Yes, guests at their own class party. And I'm sure if your family, for example, think of your own family, let's say your extended family, had a family big party, you were hosting some sort of lovely celebration. Now you would be, if it was your family, you'd like to be celebrating. You wouldn't like to be sitting with the other guests, but that's exactly what you as a teacher make these opted out kids do. Some of you have this mad idea that giving them a job to do in the church is inclusion. And I go back to my point about the observant Jew. You know, how are they going to come into a church and and be part of it? They can't. And you might respond, well, that's their choice. Just think about it for a few seconds. Would you take part in an event that was against your moral conscience? And if you decided you couldn't do it, would you think that's a choice? Of course you wouldn't. So let's keep going. There are children of many different faiths and none in our school and all children are shown dignity and respect when it comes to their individual beliefs. Now at the risk of repeating myself, they aren't being respected for all of the reasons I've already mentioned. They are being at best tolerated Moving on. It amazes me how people view faith formation as some kind of evil monster. At the end of the day, it's about showing love and respect to each other. I hardly call that code for religious indoctrination. There you go. The word indoctrination for a third time in a very short space. But talking of triggers, this was another one for me. Catholic faith formation is not only about showing love and respect to each other. Granted, like most ethical education programs, large parts of it are about love and respect. But the problem here is that it's wrapped up in a contract that is conditional. Catholicism has certain rules that aren't all about love and respect. And if you are a cultural Catholic, it's very easy to pretend you close your eyes and pretend they don't happen. And this is done through the use of things like, ah, love the sinner, not the sin. You know, so you kind of, if you have a, a child who's, who basically, I don't know, who who's, who's kind of thinks they may be gay, for example, you know, and you're not allowed to teach about that because, uh, you know, or, or, or accept this in any way because it's a sin. In uh, You know, the act of homosexuality is a sin in Catholicism. But you love the sinner. So it gets you off the hook. Or maybe simply not even teaching about the things that are against the rules of Catholicism. So you don't teach about same-sex families. You don't teach about certain things in the RSE curriculum. You don't, you know, you just don't mention other religions when you're teaching about, about faith formation or, or, or anything like that. You don't, you don't talk about them really. Or, 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 or to, certainly not talk about them as valid. 
They're, they're the things that they do, not we. Um, so I coined that so they don't teach about them, which I call sin by omission. However, for many, many people, and I mainly include people that were raised in Catholicism in this, faith formation was an evil monster, and in some cases still is in a way. And it did huge damage through countless sexual and physical abuses. And we know this, and I, I just don't understand the cognitive dissonance that these people have, that they're very happy to, you know, do faith formation, thinking it's all happy, lovey, clappy, clappy, clappy. And yet there are thousands of people who are physically and sexually abused. You know, there are people that send their children and grandchildren to your school that may have been raped, as they said a Hail Mary back in the day. I, I mean, I know we don't like talking about these things, but they have to be said. They have to be said. And I'm not saying it to be, you know, I'm, I'm not giving this example to be, you know, provocative in any way, shape or form. It just is what it is. And, and forget about it. You know, and, and this man perception that the Catholic Church is some sort of benevolent, kind entity. It just simply isn't true. Uh, and until, I mean, certainly until they stop hiding information from victims and apologise properly for their crimes, rather than reacting to them every time a new set of victims emerges or they find some more evidence of children buried in shallow grave you know they, they, why don't the catholic church get ahead of this instead of hiding it which they are they still are you know it would be a great start maybe for reparation but even leaving that all aside because i know people don't like talking about this because it is awful it's awful it's uncomfortable i actually hate talking about it myself leaving all that aside forgetting the horror stories and even forgetting about what i even said earlier Let's get back to Dee and Niall's point that faith formation isn't an evil monster. Even if we take that as true, even if we take that as true and gospel, I have to ask, why is it needed in the first place? Why should one's religion's faith be chosen to spread, to be spread to everyone, even those who aren't of that faith by osmosis, even if the message isn't evil? Who cares if it's evil or not? Who cares if it's not? I certainly wouldn't try and convince Dee and Niall that there's no such thing as God because my beliefs are my business and I don't believe I have any right to convince anyone, never mind a class of children, young children, that my beliefs are any more valuable than theirs. There is nothing evil about my beliefs, I should add, which are simply to be excellent to each other. Thank you, Bill and Ted, by the way, for that. But while I believe that, you know, that value really strongly, I believe we should be excellent to each other. We should, that is what we should be doing all the time. I do not go around preaching it as truth. That's the difference. So perhaps forget my shock jock in me, the shock factor of the actual evil monster of the church abuse. And maybe ask the question as to why there's any reason in the world to teach one faith as truth, whatever you think it is, to a diverse set of children. Let's keep going. As for allowing children to, to leave the classroom during religion classes, may I ask who will supervise these children? Perhaps parents are willing to volunteer their own time to supervise. And this is where the loving and respectful D and Niall stop being loving and respectful. They have marked their cards, if you 
if you want to push back on their loving and respectful classroom, well, now, here's what I have for you. Why don't you come in and supervise your heathen children? Those children, as she said. These children, again, allowing these children, sorry. You know, these children. I, I, just the word these and them and those. They. It's, it's, it's all there. It's all there in the letter. Read it. It's, it's, ama- it's an amazing letter. You see, Dee and Niall's argument falls apart even by their own admission. They simply can't include all children in their classroom. The them, the those, the theys that aren't happily sitting at the back of our class can more or less figure it out for themselves because, do you know what? Dee and Niall aren't going to be figuring it out for you. I love it when somebody tries to argue themselves out of a hole, nearly does it, and then falls back into the hole in the end, really. You see, Dee and Niall's denial of any issues with faith formation in school was clearly triggered by the word indoctrination, which they mentioned three times in this very, very short letter. I wonder would Dee or Niall have responded if education equality had have left out the word indoctrination. And to be honest, I imagine they probably wouldn't. So what has all of this taught us? I guess that's what we need to ask. Ultimately, we have to realise the power is with the cultural Catholics who have essentially hijacked the Catholic education system from practising Catholics. Genuine Catholics have to either suck up a lot of things happening in their parishes or play along in the game of denial. And in some ways, they have to balance whether it would be better to have Catholic schools as they are, or whether it would be better to have schools that had no religious affiliation. Now, I can't answer for them, and I only have talked to a small number of genuine Catholics about it. The consensus on my small sample is that they would like the sacraments removed from schools, which ironically is a view shared by the cultural Catholics because, and this is the weird thing, it would give them permission to not do them anymore. Do you know, they feel that if their child goes to a Catholic school, they feel they have to allow their child make the sacraments because they would have the insufferable situation of their child being left out or something like that. I don't quite understand it. Anyway, the other point is that also made by my Catholic friends is that they would like to see a lot fewer Catholic schools to allow Catholic schools to be truly Catholic. And I can see their point, even if I disagree with it. The problem is that you're not going to find too many Catholics marching on the Doyle about it. You know, that's the trouble. I mean, I think in some ways the balance is we have Catholic schools or Catholic even if it's nominally Catholic, it's still Catholic. And in some ways, if they're not teaching things that are against our worldview, that'll do sin by omission or otherwise. And, you know, if I was a practicing Catholic, I possibly would have the same view in a way. I think I would. Anyway, I'm not sure, really, to be honest with you. Um, I just can't kind of bring myself or put myself in that situation. But it's the growing minority, although still really small, that needs to do this. So we have a weird system where the vast majority of Irish people are nominally Catholic, culturally Catholic, bouncy castle Catholic. They might not believe in God, they might not believe in anything to do with the Catholic Church, um, but they believe 
that Catholic schools are no harm whatsoever. So there is a grow, but there is a small, small minority that don't believe that, as I've sort of tried to explain above. And they're the ones that need to convince this glut of the population that have hijacked the Catholic education system that we need to move away from it. And I don't think my angry rants kind of do that. Because to achieve it, they need to make their arguments in a way that convinces people in a more positive way. In some ways, that means maybe tempering our language, which is something obviously I could never be accused of in this podcast. But if I'm talking to people, and when I talk to people directly, and I want to actually make progress, I tend to try and avoid those triggering words like indoctrination or not being inclusive. Although I think I fail to accomplish a conversation without using either expression. But while I don't like the fact that this is something we probably have to do, it probably is. Maybe we do. Maybe we do have to stop using the word indoctrination or not saying that schools aren't inclusive. Let's say Catholic schools aren't inclusive. Although having said that, I believe... Had education equality not used the word indoctrination, dear Nile wouldn't have responded, which the response basically has opened up the potential for further conversation. So maybe that isn't the answer either. It's hard to know. So we're left with some choices. We can decide to go down the road of light, predictable, and potentially banal mainstream daytime radio songs. Perhaps we should say nothing at all when you say nothing at all or maybe should we be a little bit more adventurous and play our own tunes have control over our own music screw the radio and let's play our own songs our own tunes whatever they might be the ones they're rarely ever played on those radio stations if at all but they get you thinking they get you going and you might not be surprised that i remember the song And it was the song that made me feel like I wasn't on my own thinking in a particular way. And it it was a fighting song. It was a song, a a call to arms, let's say. And it was from my favourite band. And I remember listening to this as a teenager, this song, Misshapes, uh, by Pulp. Jarvis Cocker is the lead singer of Pulp. I think more people have heard of Jarvis Cocker than the band Pulp these days. It kind of depresses me as well. But um, he, his lyrics supplied me with my moral compass as a teenager, which I believe I know it sounds a bit maybe silly, but they did, you know, and, and I again, I, I know I quoted Bill and Ted of Be Excellent to Each Other, but Misshapes gave me the lyrics and I could use the entire chorus um, for my kind of moral compass. But my favourite lines are, we don't look the same as you and we don't do the things you do, but we live around here too. And perhaps in reality, I'm only saying this because I just wanted to share my song amongst all the banal tracks I've mentioned previously. But but I think most people that care about something have a song that they wished would be played in the mainstream. Because I think, you know, and maybe not a song, but let's say we have a a moral compass. We have a we have a, a something that gets us out of bed every day, something to think about, something to fight for. If we have something to fight for, it could be anything. It could be your own family. It could be your, your friends. It could be, it could be your class. It could be anything. And as teachers and as an education system, that's what we need to do. We need our call to arms to make sure that every child in our classrooms 
is, you know, fought for. And they're not treated as the they's, the those, the them's at the back of the class, happily doing busy work. That isn't the answer. That isn't the fight I want to join. We need to think um, about Dee and Niall's response and whether it's really a good response. We need to think past our own bias of thinking the Catholic faith formation is harmless, is just about love and respect. Is it? And even if it is, should we be doing it? These are all the questions we need to be asking ourselves if we work in the Catholic education system and haven't really thought about what we're doing. And maybe that's really, it's not the answer, but it's definitely the question that we might start off with. And if I were the Minister for Education, they're the questions I'd be asking myself. So there you have it. Ending with a question on the new year. I suppose it wouldn't be my podcast if I didn't start the new year with something about religion and schools. I have some um, uh, nice uh, episodes coming up uh, over the next while. Uh, as I said to you before the new year, uh, one of my New Year's resolutions was that I was going to look after my own self uh, in terms of uh, recording these podcasts. I spent, I suppose, the last few years recording weekly episodes of the podcast. And um, I, I, to be honest, I find it way too hard to catch up with myself. So I'm going to take some more time um, to develop uh, podcast episodes. Um, I failed the first hurdle. I was hoping to do a short enough one to summarise this. But uh, I suppose my, my, my passion for religious uh, religion in schools uh, overtook uh, my uh, much more succinct script. Um, but I, I do hope uh, that I'll be picking different uh, things. I take notes every time I see something in the news. I, I put it down in a notepad and say I must do an episode about that in the future. So there's a few of those. I have a couple of interviews lined up. Uh, one coming uh, very soon will be an episode on well-being. Um, just uh, from uh, two teachers who've developed um, a well-being um, course. Um, or not even a well-being course, but a sort of a product um, that uh, helps a teacher teach about well-being in the classroom. Really interesting little um, thing to do and very easy to, uh, and I, I really enjoyed chatting to them. So anyway, look, we're coming up to the hour mark. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of 2023. Um, food for thought, as some people say to me before going back to their normal, everyday, banal, mundane, uh, harmless uh, faith formation in schools. But hopefully it might strike a chord with you and maybe move you into action. We really, really need to be talking really seriously about the role of faith formation in schools and why moving from two and a half hours to two hours is is really in reality a nonsense um so without further ado i suppose we better let you go uh, back to your business happy new year best of luck going back to school and we'll see you soon for another episode of if i were the minister for education